and welcome to this week's episode of the Vegan Business Tribe podcast with myself, David Pennell, the founder of Vegan Business Tribe. And we're broadcasting to you around the world on Spotify, on Apple, or wherever you get your pods, but also now in glorious video on YouTube too. And if you are watching us on YouTube, then just apologies for having to look at my face for the next 40 minutes or so. But if you have a vegan business or you're just thinking about starting one, then Vegan Business Tribe is here to support you and to inspire you, not just to build a vegan business, but to build a successful vegan business. Now, quite a short introduction today because we've got a special episode and I don't often have guests on this podcast, but you might have seen that we are now just six or seven weeks away from our flagship yearly event, which is Vegan Business Tribe Live at the London Olympia as part of VegFest UK, which is sponsored by the amazing vegan accountants here in the UK. If you need an accountant that shares your ethics, then Vegan Accountants is it. And if you haven't heard about this event yet, well, first of all, you're obviously not on our mailing list, so you need to get that sorted straight away. Go to the website and make sure you sign up. But Vegan Business Tribe Live, it is two days of speakers, panelists and workshops to help you grow a successful vegan business. And that's at the London Olympia on the 18th and 19th of November 2023. And we have just got the most amazing lineup of speakers this year. We've got the founders of some of the UK's biggest vegan companies to teach us how they scaled up. We've got industry experts to give us their insights and to tell us about the latest trends and what's going to be the next big thing in vegan and plant-based. And we've got workshops on how to get your business in the news and how to build up your online audience and following. And we're really fortunate today because we've actually got one of our Tribe Live speakers on today's special extended episode. And I first met Chris Kong about two and a half years ago when the company that he co-founded, Better Nature Tempeh, they were just finding their feet in the retail market. And when I last interviewed Chris, which was over two years ago now, they were already getting stocked in independent retailers and whole food stores. But their growth over the last couple of years, it's been phenomenal. They are now sold in major retailers and supermarkets across the UK, and they've just launched into Germany too. So not only has Chris been kind enough to give up his time to join us on this podcast today to tell us how they scaled that business so fast, he's also going to be on one of our panels at Vegan Business Tribe Live in London. And on that panel, he's going to be sat next to Joe Hill, the co-founder of One Planet Pizza, who you can also buy in Asda supermarkets and other retailers, and Andy Shovel, who is the co-founder of a company called This. And they just happen to be one of the fastest growing food companies in the UK right now. With their products, This Isn't Bacon and This Isn't Chicken, 
pretty much available in every major retailer in the UK. So you can see the full lineup for this event on our website at veganbusinesstribe.com, which also has a link to book your VegFest ticket, which gives you full access to our stage and area too. So just to repeat the date, it's Saturday the 18th and Sunday the 19th of November 2023 at the London Olympia. And you do not want to miss it. It's going to be absolutely worth your while to be there. I just wanted to break off for a second to ask, are you just following this podcast without being a member of Vegan Business Tribe? Because if you are, then let me tell you, you are missing out on about 80% of everything that goes on at Vegan Business Tribe, including incredible resources and a vibrant community of like-minded vegan business owners from around the world. Because as a member of Vegan Business Tribe, you'll gain access to hundreds of hours of online courses and guides and masterclasses in our Vegan Business Academy to help you grow your vegan business. You'll also get to attend our regular online networking meetups where you can promote your business and just forge those connections with fellow vegan business owners just like you. Plus, if you need more direct advice and assistance, you can join us on a live business clinic or you can post a question in our community hub where all our other members plus our vegan business experts are waiting to help you out. And the best part, it's just £18.99 a month. And at the same time, you'll also be supporting the work that we do to champion the vegan business scene around the world. And just to add that we've now also recently introduced one-to-one business coaching and mentoring with myself or one of our vegan business experts. And that's available to a select number of our members. So if you're really looking to take your vegan business to the next level, then we've got you. Don't just lurk on the sidelines. There is a whole community of vegan businesses who want to get to know you and support you. Just head to veganbusinesstribe.com. Click on that big join button on the homepage and I cannot wait to connect with you and discuss your vegan business or your next big idea. So today I am joined by superstar vegan entrepreneur Chris Kong. Don't laugh, Chris, because you are. But Chris is also the co-founder and CEO of Better Nature Tempeh. And Chris, I want to start by saying that when I last interviewed you, which was two years ago now, can you believe, one of the big pieces of advice that you gave was that entrepreneurs need to make sure that when they're starting a business, they're not committing five years of their life to something that's going to be a dead end. And the, the mindset of any good entrepreneur should be to try and kill your idea as soon as possible. So five years in with Better Nature Tempeh, have you managed to kill it off yet? No, no, like <laughs> I, I have tried. I have tried. No, I mean, um, yeah, I think in the early stages, definitely in the first six months, year, two years, that's absolutely the mindset that you should have. You know, you, you want to get off the bus <laughs> as soon as possible because this bus could take you to places where you don't necessarily want to go. It could, it could lead you to a dead end. Um, but, you know, thankfully for us, uh, we found that the train just kept on rolling and uh, it's been a phenomenal journey since. So now the mindset has definitely shifted away from 
gosh, let's kill this thing. <laughs> More to how how big can this get? You know, what impact can we have? Absolutely. And I, I think we should explore that first because we're speaking on the back of two huge wins for Better Nature. And, and first, um, Better Nature now has listing in, I think, more than 400 Tesco's uh, nationwide. That's your first national supermarket listing. Uh, you've also had a week-long trial placement in nearly 1,000 little stores. And, you, and I read one of your, your, your posts where you said you had to ship 50,000 packs of tempeh in one order. Now, all that, that is a huge step up. And I've got a lot of questions about how, how, how all this happened in just a couple of years since we last spoke. But I think the best place to start is by asking what had to change, both in terms of a, a company logistically, but also in terms of your mindset as a founder. What had to change to make all this happen? I, I think from a mindset perspective, I... Yeah, I, I actually don't think anything had to change, to be honest. I, I think, yeah, I may have spoken about this the last time we spoke, but so much of it is just perseverance. It's just grinning and bearing it. You know, really, we, we've, been, we've been approaching Tesco since before we launched. Oh, wow. <laughs> yeah. Um, so going back to 2019, right? So we, we launched the brand in January 2020. Um, but in 2019, September, October time. So this is a story that not many people know. Uh, we were invited by Derek Sano, who's a huge, you know, he's now left Tesco, uh, but he's a huge, huge Tempeh fan. Absolutely loves it. And we were invited to present the brand and the products at Tesco headquarters in October, 20, in September, yeah, October, September, 2019. Um, and this was before we had products on the market. And uh, we had never pitched to a retailer, let alone the UK's largest retailer um, ever before. And we had no idea what to expect. So obviously, you know, we, we worked hard at it. We, we, we brought our A game. We tried to sell the story, um, but it, it didn't work out. I mean, for obvious reasons, we just weren't ready and we didn't have the products that were that were that were suited. Um, but we just kept on keeping on and we. Um, when we first launched in 2020, the products, the brand, everything has changed. So I think the one thing that we kept doing was innovating. We just kept on innovating on the brand, kept on innovating the product range. Whatever didn't work, we changed. And nothing was sacred. <laughs> no, nothing was sacred apart from the mission. The mission was the only thing that was sacred. The packaging, the branding, the copy, the tone of voice, like all that all that changed. But when we first started, meat alternatives were all the rage, right? You know, um, Beyond Meat's IPO and all that sort of created so much hype around meat alternatives. And the best performing businesses in the category were all meat alternatives. And, and, and as a business, we knew, we, we knew Tempeh was special from day one. And we knew that we were always going to be about Tempeh but what we sort of where we went wrong, you know, looking back, was that we positioned Tempeh as a meat alternative, right? So we were playing against the likes of Meatless Farm, this, right, Beyond Meat, you name it, right, a vegetarian butcher, and saying, you know, we're producing a meat alternative, but put side to side, no one's going to bite into our, our Tempeh products. And be like, oh my goodness, this tastes like me. So we were playing in a we were playing a game that we were never going to win. 
with the products that we had with by using Tempe, right? Um, so one of the big mindset shifts that we adopted, and that was this was all catalyzed by the rebrand and what fed into the rebrand um, was this acceptance that. We're just going to be about tempo. That's absolutely amazing to hear, Chris, because this whole idea of kind of positioning yourselves and, and finding your marketplace. I mean, I've, I've spoke to, you know, various different company founders about how they scaled up and got into retail. And, and some of them have just been really blasé about it. They said, oh, you know, I, I called up Morrison's and they asked me down to, to cook up some samples and they loved it and they, they put it on the shelves. And, and it just doesn't work like that. I think the people I know who have got the most successful businesses, they actually found success in a different place to where they thought they'd found it. So mm. they would start out on one path and then it was an opportunity or it was something that they learned further down that line that they weren't even aware of if they won. And that sounds exactly what's been happening at Better Nature too. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. So this, this embrace that we were all about Tempe meant that, yeah, like meant that Tempe became front. You know, we used to be just called Better Nature, but now we're called Better Nature Tempe. We just completely owned it. And by accepting that, by owning that, and by taking in a way, you know, what, what was still quite a risk in mid-2021 in in sort of just pivoting the brand and being like, okay, that's it. We're just Tempe now. We're not going to play against the big, you know, the big guys in the meat alternative space. We're just going to establish the subcategory of Tempe, right? Because we feel that it really deserves to be as big of a subcategory as tofu, if not bigger. Um, really, that is the yeah fundamental shift, mindset shift, right, within the business, within the brand that culminated in a rebrand in a completely different market positioning. And I think we've seen this in other categories as well, where that one company has to kind of step up and create that category and create that shelf space. You know, uh, Oatly did it in plant milk, you know, Beyond Meat did it in the, in the meat replacement and things like that as well. So I think that's absolutely brilliant that you're doing that for the Tempe category. You, you, you've realized that it's not just about getting that product on the shelf. It's about creating a category first to actually get that product into. But I think another maybe obvious change that has to be thought about when you're looking at dealing with uh, retailers like this, it has to be a step up in production as well. And not just in terms of capacity, but also just proving to that retailer that you can deliver that consistency of quality as well. And so can you talk a little bit about how you've approached that too? Because, I mean, this whole idea of, of, of margins when you get into the major retailers, you can be working on such small margins. So how have you been able to step up the quality and production at the same time? Yeah, you know, for us, it, it really was an evolution. You know, I mean, in our history, We've worked with five different manufacturing partners. Wow. So we, we outsourced all of our manufacturing. And that was a decision we made on day one. And total respect to the, you know, to the founders who are making the products themselves. But you know, for us, our way was that we were always going to outsource manufacturing. Um, you know, Tempe is, a re you know, from an ingredient list perspective, pretty simple. But from a manufacturing perspective, quite complicated. It is a fermented product, right? So uh, a lot of things can go wrong during a fermentation. Requires quite a lot of specialist, not specialist uh, knowledge to get right. Um, but yeah, we went through five different manufacturing partners, and each one was great at that time. But we knew that in order to move on, in order to take that next step, in order to you know ramp up production and capability. We needed to work with someone else. 
I think what you'd find, what you typically find in the market is that you have more artisanal manufacturers that will be able to help you with smaller production volumes in the earlier stages, help you test your market, get some samples out to your first stockists, for example, right, to prove it out. But then at some point, they may not be the right partners for you to start supplying the larger retailers. So I think as we're growing, we're becoming far more adaptable in regards to um, fitting these different pieces together, um, but also becoming far more engaged with our suppliers. Uh, because if, if, if they succeed, we succeed. And, and if we succeed, they succeed. <laughs> so that, that, that relationship becomes incredibly synergistic. And it means that, yeah, I think it, it means that we're far more involved with our supply chain now. So in the future, do I see us just exclusively working at outsourcing production? Maybe not. Maybe in the future, if we're able to drive enough volume through our suppliers, it may make sense for us to actually get in bed <laughs> with our suppliers, right? Um, and have a far more formal partnership in that respect. And I guess that part of that is also communicating all that to the retailers, you know, communicating that you have been scaling up your manufacturing processes and things like that as well. And you you did touch earlier on that you've had a real increase in, in your marketing. You've gone through a rebrand. We've, we've seen a real kind of uptick in coverage of Better Nature as well in the industry press. I, I, I've seen you personally in the grocer a couple of times this year. Um, so has all that been part of a dedicated strategy to actually not just raise your profile with customers, but to raise the profile of Better Nature Tempeh in the industry as well there is definitely a strategy in play right to elevate the profile of the business of the founders right uh, myself ellen fabio ando right um to make us far more prominent because we are in a way the face of the brand and people buy from people at the end of the day and that that's really the ambition here um you know elevate the brand elevate the founders elevate tempe but how we elevate these different pieces works very differently. So in trade, trade loves stories about founders. Um, there is this halo effect around the founder that rubs off on the brand and vice versa, right? So on the trade with the grocer, for example, it's always about the brand. It's always about the founder. And if, if I can slip in a word or two here about Tempe, that's great. I'm just going to jump in on a couple of things there. And I love this. This whole idea of developing your own personal brand as one of the founders of the business, that's not necessarily developing your personal brand in the eyes of your end customer. That's just getting really familiar on the scene and getting really familiar with, with the buyers and things like that. And we have seen this raise in what I will call founders posts on LinkedIn over the last uh, year or so. And you, you know what I'm talking about because you, you've just referenced it there. Um, I've seen other people do it really well. You know, Andy Shovel at this uh, uh, does it really well. Uh, Joe Hill at One Plan. Peter, he's been doing it really well as well. And that's where you just sort of share your learnings from the journey that you're going through at the moment. And, and, and I think doing something like that, it's this whole idea of kind of building a business in public and, and being, being a little bit vulnerable about it as well, because mm. doing those kind of posts, I mean, one, they, they take a lot of time to put together. And two, sometimes you need quite a lot of confidence and, and courage to, to put yourself out there like that. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, this is something that I feel like I could be better at being more vulnerable uh, on LinkedIn. Um, but again, people buy from people, right? And people just like nice people. People want to align themselves with people that they genuinely think are nice and cool and, you know, are doing the right thing. So it, 
it is super important, I think, to build that founder profile on LinkedIn. And you'd be surprised about most of, yeah, I don't need to tell people what I've been doing for them to know, because I just put, if I put on LinkedIn, they'll see it. <laughs> and that sort of builds this interesting, again, like halo effect around myself, around the brand. In a way, it kind of makes the brand feel bigger than it is right? Which is, which is great. If you are looking to get your business in the news or on the radio or interviewed on TV, then no one's going to get your company noticed like Karen Ridges and her team at Mad Promotions. And Karen, she's been at the forefront of the vegan media scene for the last 20 years. And Mad Promotions, they're also our media partners at Vegan Business Tribe. So if you've read about us in plant-based news or in veg economy, then that's probably because Karen got that story there. So if you are an ethical company or entrepreneur that wants more media coverage, and if you're a company that is looking to make a difference, then that's literally what Mad Promotion stands for. Karen, she's worked with Veganuary, VegFest, and all the other big names. So go find out more at mad-promotions.com. If you are a UK vegan business, wouldn't it be better to have an accountant that shares your ethics? Well, vegan accountants have got over 30 years of experience and they're a vegan founded company. And just to add, they're also our accountants at Vegan Business Tribe because they just get us. They understand why we do what we do and they make sure that we're doing it in the most tax efficient way possible. Keith and his team, they've been massive supporters of our mission at Vegan Business Tribe. So if you are an established UK business with a growth mindset and you want an accountant that is going to help you grow and shares your mission as well as saves you tax, then just go to veganaccountants.co.uk to find out more. Just to pick up on another comment you made there as well. Um, so again, when we last spoke, you were really pushing this strategy of driving customers to the independent retailers when you got listed. So when they took your product on, you know, you and your team, you'd head down to a new shop that was listing your tempe. You'd do sampling out on the streets to drag people in. You do like loads of point of sale and stuff like that as well. But when you're sort of listed in 400 Tesco's and 900 Lidl's, you can't be at all those stores at once with a team. So how have you adapted that strategy for driving customers through retailers when it gets to such a larger scale? Yeah. I mean, there, there's so many different ways you can go about it. There's so many different ways. And in a way, it actually becomes easier the bigger, the, the more points of distribution you have um, because your budgets get a little bit bigger. You've got more money coming in. You've got more money to, to play with to sort of execute different marketing campaigns, et cetera. Um, and you, but you also have far more interaction with the retailer, right? So... For example, with, with Tesco, we if we want to run a promotion, a price promotion on our products, we do that directly with Tesco. However, when we were dealing with the independents, we'd run a promotion with the wholesaler, and it's a toss-up whether or not that, that discount or whatever actually ends up reflecting on the store's shelves. Or, or, or you need to be incredibly close with that retailer in order for that to show up, right? But the work that goes in right, is exactly the same, whether it goes into 500 Tesco stores, right, in terms of your promotion being showed up, or seven Planet Organic stores, 
right? Um, so yeah, that, that, that's, that's something that we actually found much easier. We can run promotions on shelf and that's another way you can get people to try the product, get your product to stand out. Uh, when it comes to running marketing, sorry, marketing with the retailer, um, it's super expensive, right? But is probably the best, you know, at least in the early days, probably the best ROI you're going to get. I think you need to know exactly what you want to do with your marketing. So for us, the number one priority is to drive trial, right? So the number one priority is to get people to take the product off the shelf and give it a go. Because, you know, admittedly, Tempeh probably isn't for everyone, right? But for those, but it, people wouldn't know whether it is for them or not if they never tried it, right? So how do we drive trial in the most cost-effective way is something that we ask ourselves all the time, right? And there, you know, you, if you were to split that up, into different, you know, just generally speaking, different marketing channels. If you're to group to categorize them, you've got in-store, out-of-store. Of course, then you can break those categories further. So an out-of-store, it's pretty obvious or relatively obvious. You've got social media, right? You've got out-of-home ads. You've got sampling. You've got everything that happens outside the store that will drive trial. Right of trial being the number one objective, and you got in-store. So in-stores things like promotions, shelf barkers, aisle fins, that sort of thing. Um, if you're a small brand with limited marketing budgets, what is the best way to spend your money? It is absolutely on optimizing that in-store environment because you're capturing customers. You're capturing customers when they're ready to make a purchase. You know these customers have made their way into the store, right? Or you know, to the store for a reason. They've ended up at the meat-free shelf or wherever you are in 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 the store, right? For a reason, and they're just looking now, right? And you need in in that in that sort of like five seconds of them browsing, you need to grab their attention, right? And if you're on promotion, that's probably going to help, or almost certainly going to help, right? Um, if you have a shelf barker. That would help too. If you have an alpha, that will help too. If your packaging stands out and looks good and says all the right messages, then that's great, right? Um, if you've got really good, what we call um, RS, it's ready, yeah, RSP. So retail shelf packaging, which are the boxes that you find that make your product look good on the shelf, that's really going to help as well. So. What we found is that on a, in terms of a return on investment metric, optimizing that in-store environment is way better spend at, for the time being than investing out of store. I mean, just on that point on packaging, I mean, that's something that Better Nature Tempeh has been very overt with. I, I think, you know, watching your packaging uh, evolve over the last couple of years, originally it was quite subtle packaging. Now it just looks like an explosion. You know, you know it's, it's, it's absolutely you no know, jumping off a shelf. But the other point that you just touched on there was about the finance involved in this. And, you know, this step up in, in kind of operations and production, you know, before we even talk about the marketing, the PR, uh, you know, not to mention shipping orders like 50,000 packs of Tempeh in one go, that, that that's all expensive stuff to do, and that comes with a real increased cost into the business. So what's your approach been to that? How have you found that extra spending power to support something like your supermarket listings, for instance? If you can grow stepwise without investment, that is fantastic, right? It is, it is, a, it is a longer game 
right? It may be more painful in the beginning, but at the very least, you don't need to deal with investors and, and all of that. Um, so if you can do that, absolutely. And there are ways you can do that. There's so many different types of financing, I think, that's, current, that's available out there. I think when people think about investment, they think about investors, right? They think about getting a big wad of cash up front. And that's you know, typically how companies fundraise. But you can also fundraise through, through loans. You can get financing through, uh, for working capital, right? With working capital finance partners, right? So effectively, you, you know, you've got an order coming in. You know how much that retailer is going to pay you for that order, right? But you don't have that money right now to commit to producing the product for that retailer. You then get, you effectively find someone that's willing to stump up the cash to allow you to produce those products and sell it to the retailer, right? And then once the money comes in from the retailer, you then pay off effectively that debt, right? And they take maybe a one, two percent on that. So th there's that as well. So working capital financing is something that I think, yeah, in the early stages or even later stages becomes super, super important to think about. Um, there's also getting good credit terms with your suppliers, right? So for example, if the retailer has 30 day payment terms, uh, we need to pay our supply within 15 days because those are the payment terms we have a supplier, then we're kind of screwed, right? Because for 15 days, we're out of pocket. You know, we've paid our supplier and we're waiting for money to come in. And like, well, the, the amount that we're out of pocket becomes more and more painful as we become bigger, <laughs> right? So in the early days when we were not doing that much volume through the independence, it wasn't so big of an issue because like, yeah, we'd be out of, out of pocket for a few hundred pounds. But if you're dealing with a major retailer, you could be out of pocket for tens of thousands of pounds, right? That, those 15 days could cost you tens of of pounds. So where does that money come from? Right. So you need to start thinking about that. But if you're able to negotiate good payment terms with your suppliers and say, look, we've been working for years now. We're not going anywhere. These retailers are certainly not going anywhere. Right. Um, you can trust that the retailers are going to pay us and that we're going to pay you. What if you give us 45 day payment terms? Can that work? Right. And, and there's, you know, you try and negotiate, you try and find a compromise that works for all parties. And let's say now your payment terms to your supplies are 45 days, but 30 days to the retailer. Well, guess what? You're in the money for 15 days. <laughs> You've been paid up from the retailer, but you still got 15 days to play with that cash before you need to pay the supplier. So that, you know, that is positive working capital. And that's something that, you know, we find our, our, ourselves in a very fortunate position to be in. With all this kind of um, having to look at the finances of a company and how you grow a business, have you had to change your attitude to money in any way? Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. I think in the early days, we could basically kind of, well, we got away with just having an Excel spreadsheet, right? And planning out our rough budgets and then seeing what happened at the end of the month and being like, okay, we underspent, we overspent. Like, what does that mean for us moving forward? But now I think we, we, we've kind of outgrown that. Money is going in all sorts of different places, paying all sorts of different suppliers, coming from different customers, right? The team is growing, right? Uh, that we're working with more external partners when it comes to marketing and sales, et cetera, right? That it becomes really complicated and really difficult for myself alone to really get a really good overview 
especially what you know everything we discussed earlier with like you know different payment terms etc it it's becomes really difficult to get a good handle on what is my current state of finances am i are we are we in in the black or are we in the red like you know what's going on in terms of the mindset shifts right going back to your question it came down to the fact that i can't handle this anymore myself and i need professional advice i need someone to come in who'll be able to do all the bookkeeping right but also give me the strategic financial advice about what can we do to to improve the situation improve the financial health of the business but we started working with a third party like an outsourced finance function um in november last year in november 2022 <laughs> um and but that gave us you know that taught us a lot you know for the first time ever we had management accounts right which is effectively like you know a five pager that gives you every month at the, at the end of every month a very good idea of how much you spent are you on budget are you not are is your revenue target are you hitting your revenue targets are you not right and that just that data that clarity gives you peace of mind as to what you need to do to improve the situation when you're dealing with you know before when we were paying our suppliers it'd be like you know it'd still be a lot you know a lot for that time maybe 3 grand 4 grand for an order but we're now looking for example for this for this little order it's like going to be like 30 grand <laughs> and it's like that is very it's if you don't have clarity of your finances it feels extraordinary to be passing away with that money it's like oh my goodness i'm writing a 30k check what is going on but 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 if you know that the reason why you're writing this 50, you know 30k check is because little is paying you x whenever it's like ah oh, okay that that's fine that makes sense i think a, a topic that i'd like to wrap up on if if that's okay chris is and i i don't know if you've you've read the newspapers uh, recently but the the plant based food sector it's it's in complete freefall and meltdown at the moment you know everyone's ditching vegan food and the plant based fad is over we can all go back to eating animals now so i guess <laughs> i guess that's probably what you've been seeing too <laughs> yeah like <I>, the media <laughs> uh, you know i i i i wrote a linkedin post about this i, I it's it's not in free fall right yes as a category we're going through you know quite a lot of change but so is every category right um and it's not a a phenomenon that is isolated to the plant based category you know we are in a cost of living crisis inflation is tightening up everyone's pockets so any any category that requires that sort of relies on discretionary spend is tightening up you know naturally naturally and i think perhaps a little bit more so in a plant based category in the meat free category given how fast we were growing since you know over the last few years right so when unit sales are down 1.2% year on year it is crazy <laughs> right because we were growing 20% year on year or 30% or 40% or 50% year on year in previous years right so i can i can appreciate that but it's been completely overblown yes unit sales are down but they're only down 1.2% across the entire meat free category yes you know some high profile players have run into difficulty right but wilco 
is an administration, <laughs> right? <laughs> you know, so so all businesses are, are suffering, and it's not something that you know, it's not it's not something we can talk about lightly, right? But it's not a phenomenon that's isolated to a plant-based category, right? I think what the media loves, and you see this time and time again, is building things up just to take them down later on. And these headlines do catch people's attention, right? But what we're seeing is growth is slowing in the category, right? Especially in this in this time, right, of increased inflation and cost of living, et cetera, right? But the demand is still absolutely there. And I think it's worth just commenting that you know one of the fastest growing food companies in the UK at the moment, if not the fastest growing food company in the UK at the moment, is this, you know, founded, co-founded by Andy Shovel, who we mentioned earlier. And yeah. I think it's true that we have seen, you know, it's the shifting consumer buying that we've seen over the last uh, uh, the last six months, especially because you know even even when you look at the Kantar data, it's shown that you know own brand supermarket meat free brands they're really growing at the moment, and and that's where why we've seen a couple of those big you know plant based brands coming under pressure this year. Uh, I think as consumers actually make um, plant based part of their everyday shop, which again is what the research showing is happening, they're gonna look for those cheaper uh, staples moving forwards. I mean, I, I I buy supermarket own brand soy milk at fifty pence a litre for everyday use. But I'll, I'll still go and buy Oakley or minor figures if I've got guests coming around. But I want, <laughs> I, I want to impress them, you know. So, so I, I'm guessing that, that you're seeing um, a little bit of this from, from your point of view as well. But there is huge potential growth in meat alternatives and plant-based. Uh, I mean, if you look at some of the studies uh, happening in Europe at the moment, you know, um, especially one that was carried out in Germany, it showed that I think something like 50% of children in cities like Berlin just don't eat meat. And yeah. So that's this huge demographical shift that we're going to see. You know, those children are going to become spending consumers in just a few years. So I'm guessing that kind of move that when something becomes an everyday staple, it becomes an everyday buy, how how are you approaching that when what you're selling at the moment is a branded product? Yeah, no, it's super, super interesting. I guess for us, I guess the good news is that we have a few more years, I think, before tempeh is absolutely everywhere and becomes heavily Tempeh saturation, yes. Yeah, <laughs> but it, it, it comes down to innovation. Did you know that in the UK alone, there is currently around three trillion pounds invested in pensions? And much of that money, it's helping to fund harmful industries like tobacco, fossil fuels, gambling and animal agriculture. So if instead you want to put your money where your heart is, then Jay Street is the founder of Mindful Wealth, our UK-based independent and vegan financial advisor here at Vegan Business Tribe. And because they are truly independent, they're not restricted to any specific investment range, so they can find the best option that works for you both financially and ethically. Although do note that the value of your investments, it can go down as well as up. But you don't need to have a lot of money invested to make a difference. If you want to talk about your financial planning, whether you're just starting your journey or you need a little guidance on how to create and maintain good habits, then book a free discovery call with Jay by heading to mindfulwealth.uk. 
Do you want to speak at more events? Do you want to get invited onto podcasts like this one? Well, it's far easier to do that if you can say that you have written a book. So let me tell you about The Vegan Publisher. Their founder, Matali, she is a best-selling business author herself. And Matali and her team, they will lead you through that entire process of becoming a published author, transforming you into the thought leader of your industry. And writing a book, it isn't just a great marketing activity to get you more clients. Trust me, being a published author, it will open up doors to opportunities that you never even knew existed. So even if you think you don't have the time to write a book, or even if you don't know what you might write a book about, go take a look at theveganpublisher.com to find out more. Do I think there's a future in which Tempeh becomes own branded? Yes. And, you know, guess what? I, I hope that happens because if the retailers are starting to own brand Tempeh, it means that it's a big enough thing. That's for, acceptance. For, That's for acceptance. That, exactly. It's a big enough category or subcategory of meat free that the retailers themselves want to weigh in on it. Great. If anything, that would just get more people to know what Tempeh is. But if we can differentiate ourselves by delivering quality, right? By delivering innovation with different products, different product formats, different flavors, right? Then that is how we still, that is how we keep the customer. As long as the customer feels like they're getting value from the product, right? You will continue selling. So, um, you know, if we look at other titans in the industry, like, you know, one that I look up to a lot, the Tofu company, right? Tofu is in many ways becoming a commodity. Right. You, you go into a, 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 a vegan restaurant right, or any restaurant, really, and you look at what's on the menu. Chances are it's probably a tofu item on there. Right. Uh, it won't say uh, it won't say tofu company's tofu. It may not say that. Right. It would say just tofu. Right. But that's still great for the tofu company because it gets more people to try tofu out and it gets more people to enjoy it. Right. In the restaurants, in the cafes. Right. And then go into retail to buy it for themselves to take home and cook for themselves. So, yeah, like, um, but how does tofu win? How does tofu keep on winning? They keep on winning because they just deliver the highest quality product consistently. They, they, they have ethical credentials that resonate with the customer base. Their customers can see, can, you know, can see or feel like they know what they're getting. Right. And have that trust with the product, with the brand, which is something I don't think own label can do very well because you sort of, when, when you buy an own label, whatever, it kind of becomes amorphized into the, the retailer. And for, you know, th- these retailers haven't exactly been the best <laughs> when it comes to their own, right? When their own sort of like social and ethical governance, et cetera. Um, so yeah, I think that's how, that's how we'll be able to keep on winning by delivering value, delivering innovation, delivering trust, credibility, and all that. That is absolutely brilliant. I, I love that analogy with the tofu yeah, company because um, it's exactly the same as, as we do with plant milk. If we've got friends coming around and we want to cook them some great vegan food just, just to impress them, we will go buy from the tofu company. <laughs> because next we, time you'll, you'll, you'll share some best nature tempeh with them as well. well absolutely. <laughs> uh, 
we've done that too. Okay, right. So yeah, so this has been an absolutely brilliant conversation. Unfortunately, we are just coming up to time now. But yeah, no, just, just just to wrap us up, what what's going to be next for Better Nature? Is, is there any exclusives that you can share with me? Oh, um, <laughs> put you on the pressure point. Yeah. So, oh, I, I can't share too much, unfortunately. But we are. We are nobody's listening, Chris. Nobody's listening. <laughs> it's just but you we, and me. We, we do we do have um some very exciting launches coming up, uh retailer launches. Um and then at the end of the year, we're gonna be launching into another major retailer. So keep your eyes peeled for that as well. I kind of just want to list major retailers now and, and see if you twitch on any of them so I can guess which ones they are. <laughs> Brilliant, Chris. This has been absolutely fantastic. And I have been speaking with Chris Kong, who is co-founder and CEO of Better Nature Tempe. And although you, you could already find Better Nature in hundreds of retailers across the UK, you can also now find them in, in over 400 branches of Tesco's. And I think you can still order online through the... Have you, have you got a store on Amazon as well, Chris? Yeah, exactly. So um, you can order us through Amazon online, tesco.com as well if you'd like. That is brilliant. So thank you so much for your time, Chris. And I, I, I hope we don't wait another two years to catch up again. No, I hope, I hope not too. <laughs> thank you so much for having me, David. Had, had a great time. And I have been watching Chris's LinkedIn to see if there's been any clue to who their next big retailer is. But he's been really good at keeping it secret. He wouldn't even tell me who it was after we stopped recording that interview. But do go and try Better Nature Tempeh if you haven't already. My wife, Lisa, has started cooking with it and it's just really versatile. And in fact, we now prefer it to tofu in many dishes as it just tends to be a bit firmer and it's got its own really distinct taste too and just to remind you if you do want to see chris speaking live along with lots of other amazing vegan business founders and experts then go and buy your vegfest uk ticket now so that you can get full access to the vegan business tribe live on the 18th and 19th of november 2023 at the London Olympia. And you can see the full lineup and find the link to buy the ticket on our website too. And also, please remember that we could not do everything that we do at Vegan Business Tribe without you. We are funded by our amazing business membership community over on veganbusinesstribe.com where you can network with hundreds of other vegan business owners. You can study our online courses and masterclasses in our Vegan Business Academy and you can even DM me for help and advice with your business. And it's all just £18.99 a month. So if you are not yet a member, please do go take a look at everything you get because we put our heart and our soul into supporting businesses that are trying to bring about a vegan world. And I want to help you too. So that's it for this episode and I'll see you on the next one.